Welcome to City Watch on WBAI. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and my co-host, David Brand, is off today. Here at City Watch, we've always focused on issues that affect New York City and often delve into political and policy discussions with our guests. Given the coronavirus pandemic, David and I have been talking with guests about how the current crisis is affecting different aspects of our lives. This week, given the recent news about a pug from North Carolina that had tested positive for the virus, I'll be speaking with a few guests about how the virus is shaping our relationships with animals and what the virus means for zoos and aquariums. Amid the pandemic, rescue shelters are seeing a surge of requests to adopt companion animals. Many Americans are also fostering pets too, and animal medical centers are fielding a good number of inquiries from people who are worried about the health of their pets and wondering whether they too should be tested. I'll discuss these topics and much more on today's show. Thank you for tuning in to WBAI today when we discuss cats and dogs and not if they will ever get along. That's a question for another time. But before I get to my first guest, let's start with another cat's, Celeste Katz Marston. She's been chronicling the lives of people in her area and their journeys amid the coronavirus. In this dispatch, a Brooklyn woman tells Celeste about how the illness has affected her. You're listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. New York is the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic sweeping the planet. WBAI is collecting the stories of New Yorkers fighting their way through the storm. This is New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. My name is Joelle Sittlemeyer. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I work in CRM Data Systems. Well, I got up in the morning to walk the dogs in the park by my home, and I started to get this sharp, sharp pain in my right lung. It literally felt like a dagger was being poked into my lung, and I thought I either pulled a muscle or I I had like a deflated lung or um, my lung was out of position or something weird. I started to get worried because I was like, oh, great, now I'm going to have to go to the hospital or something, not knowing that later this would progress into something at like COVID-19. I told my wife that my lung was hurting really bad and I didn't know what was going on and I laid down. The pain a little bit subsided, but it just kind of grew into a bigger thing and then it started going into my left lung we both started getting more sick and it was getting harder to breathe. So we did NYU's Langone virtual doctor. That was extremely helpful, but scary because they were like, you can't go and get tested. Um, because at this time in New York city, only people who were being hospitalized could get tested and not somebody like me. Um, and then that was quite unfortunate because we still don't know if we have it or not. Um, and basically they were like, stay away from the emergency room unless you need oxygen. And the way to tell is if you get out of bed and you can't get to the bathroom and you're like nauseous, your heart is racing and you know, you start throwing up even. And I was like, what? <laughs> but she basically, the doctor was like, look, this is a virus. Um, what you're experiencing is viral pneumonia. That's why your lungs hurt. And you need to stay at home and don't go to the emergency room. 
unless these symptoms progress. And I was like, well, how do I tell? And she said, well, the people that we've been talking to and sending to the hospital are coughing up blood. Um, A lot of them are incoherent and can't get a sentence out. And their family members are speaking for them. Those are the people that need to seek emergency right away. You are making sense. You're, you know, talking, you're a little out of breath, but you're not throwing up, you're not coughing up blood. So you're just trying to stay calm, but you're turning on the TV and the news is like the death count going up, the amount of emergency beds that are not available, not enough ventilators. So you you kind of like can't help but panic and think like, oh my God, what do I do? What if I need a ventilator? Where am I going to go? Friends and neighbors have stepped up in, in huge amounts. Um, I do not have a thermometer and NYU was saying that I needed to take my temperature and a friend who owns a vet clinic actually gave me a thermometer from the vet clinic and that was just amazing and then another neighbor has been getting groceries for me and it's amazing because you forget that people will step up and will help you and it it definitely takes a community to get through this. And I'm just extremely blessed that people have have been there for me. Joelle Suttlemeyer lives in Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more installments of New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary, and for the latest news and updates on COVID-19. That was our Celeste Katz-Marston. Visit WBAI.org to hear all of Celeste's coronavirus diaries. Across the United States, hundreds of zoos and aquariums have shut their doors amid all of our efforts to stop the spread of the virus. But unlike movie theaters and other venues, closing their doors doesn't shut operations. They still have to care for the animals. Dan Ash is the president and CEO of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. He's a lifelong animal conservationist, and he previously served as the director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and before that, as a professional staff member of the former Committee on Merchant Marine and Fisheries in the U.S. House of Representatives. Welcome to WBAI. First, give our listeners a sense of the scope of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, the work you do, and the number of accredited venues that you represent. The Association of Zoos and Aquariums, or AZA as we call it, is, is one of the world's largest communities of zoological professionals, and we're an accrediting body. So in order to be a member, you have to be accredited, and our standards are recognized globally as the gold standard for a modern aquarium and zoo. We have 240 accredited members, which are the best zoos and aquariums in the world, including Bronx Zoo. Central Park Zoo, Queen Zoo, and the New York Aquarium, um, and many others that Americans would recognize, like Monterey Bay Aquarium, the National Zoo here in Washington, D.C., San Diego Zoo, um, and some very small members that they probably wouldn't be familiar with, but 240 of the world's best, uh, highest-performing zoos and aquariums. Many of these places that people go to for experiences, like theaters, museums, they've gone dark, but zoos really cannot. Can you talk about that? 
Sure. Our, our members are, you know, like uh, many members in the broader museum community, um, we are closed right now. So here in the United States, um, all, essentially all of our members are now closed to the public in response to this COVID-19 crisis. And, and because they're closed, um, uh, their principal source of revenue and support is gone, and that is the visitor, the guest. Um, and so um, there's no revenue coming in at a time when they still have to operate. And that's the, the real distinction between us and another um, attraction, like a museum or a movie theater. Um, our members can't just close the door, turn off the lights, and secure the facility and, and go home. The Bronx Zoo, San Diego Zoo, or uh, uh, St. Louis Zoo, or New England Aquarium, they, they, those facilities have to function 100% um, for the care of those animals. So while they don't have their revenue source coming through the door, um, they, that facility has to function at 100% for the care of the animal. So how have they adapted? Talk a little about how the museums and aquariums have adapted to this new normal. Well, like every other business, they have done everything they can to reduce their expenses. So. So many of them have had to undertake you know, devastating furloughs and layoffs. Um, San Diego Zoo Global, one of our biggest members, just a little over a week ago, had to furlough nearly 1,500 employees. Um, uh, you know, smaller um, members like the Franklin Park Zoo in Boston have had to lay off um, and furlough staff. Many of those staff people are the concession staff, the guest service staff, the education staff, uh, the people who cannot work during this period of time. And and many of those are people that are least able, you know, economically to kind of handle that. So there's a human tragedy associated like this that we're seeing throughout the economy. They've of course they've done everything like reducing travel costs and things like that to to a bare minimum, essentially nobody is traveling uh, these days. So they've done everything they can do as a business to cut their costs. But what they can't, uh, where they can't cut costs, is in the care of the animals. They they have to maintain that exemplary care of the animals that they're known for. Has there been a concern about the food supply? There's always concern, and and uh, uh, so yes, as they looking downstream, as as this. Um, economic crisis continues to unfold. Uh, a lot of the same things we're hearing about the human food supply, of course, is um, is the same for the supply of food for these animals because they rely on a high-quality, continuous, reliable source of food. So there is concern uh, that the longer this goes on, those supply chains are going to continue to be, or di- are, are you know potentially going to be disrupted. But right now, um, uh, I, I'm not aware of any acute crisis within our member community. They they have access to food. They're continuing uh, to maintain those supply chains. They're working together as a community, and that's what's important about the Association of Zoos and Aquariums community is they have uh, they have colleagues and a professional network to rely on. So if they start to see a problem, they can reach out to 240. Um, partner organizations and look for ways to work around that. Um, 
And, and maybe one of the more difficult things right now has been the access to personal protective equipment. So they're like the, the you know, first responders in the healthcare community. They have to have personal protective equipment to do their job. And, and um, access to PPE, as, they, as we call it, is, has been a little bit more of a crisis within our community. But again, they've adapted to that and they've worked as a community to find um, access to PPE so they can continue to, to care for animals in a way that's protective of themselves um, and protective of the animals. What is it going to take for these places to rebound financially? Do they qualify for emergency loans from the SBA under any of the stimulus packages? They do. And, uh, you know, what um, you know, what it's going to take for them to recover is for them to reopen. And so so we're kind of very interested in the current um, discussions about how to reopen responsibly and safely um, and to ensure that the public knows that when they are reopening, that it's that it's safe um, uh, to uh, venture out and again, visit. Um, these wonderful places, and so reopening is essential to their recovery. Um, they they have gotten some substantial assistance through principally through the Paycheck Protection Program of the Small Business Administration, and um, many of our members have applied uh, for uh, PPP loan assistance, and and many of them have have gotten that assistance. So um, places like the National Aquarium here. In nearby here in Baltimore, Maryland, um, uh, the um, Phoenix Zoo in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the Montana Zoo um, in Billings, Montana. I mean, they they have gotten uh, PPP loans, and that's providing them with key um, operational assistance. Um, but it only lasts for about eight weeks, and so the longer this goes on, the more precarious. Uh, uh, position those those uh, member facilities are going to be in, and larger uh, members like the WCS and their five um, uh, facilities in the New York City area. They're too big. They have more than 500 employees, so they're they are not eligible for that Paycheck Protection Program assistance. And uh, the Audubon Zoo and Aquarium in New Orleans is too big, more than 500 employees. San Diego Zoo Global, I mentioned before, is too big. Um, and so they're, they've kind of fallen in the cracks of this assistance program, and we're uh, working with Congress, in, hopefully, in this next piece of legislation that's, uh, that they're contemplating moving now. Is hopefully there will be some relief provided for some of these nonprofit organizations that are that are more that have more than 500 employees. Another financial impact really would be the types of uh, of resources that zoos direct towards animal conservation efforts. Can you just elaborate on that? Sure. Thank you for asking that question because that the that is the hallmark of an AZA accredited aquarium or zoo is it you know when you visit these. Uh, accredited facilities, it's a purposeful visit um, because collectively our members um, contributed nearly $250 million in direct support for field conservation in 2019. And that makes them amongst the world's largest conservation investors. Um, And so when you go to 
a place like the Bronx Zoo, you're contributing directly to the conservation of the animals that you're seeing there in their native habitat. And, and, um, and that contribution is almost certainly going to be substantially diminished as a result of this COVID-19 pandemic and the closures, because that revenue from the guest is what drives that, that, that conservation. And so with the guest being absent, that revenue being absent, um, they're not going to be able to make the commitments to conservation that they have historically made. And so we're going to see a diminishment of, of our abilities to protect animals in nature as a result of this. Animals are used to, in many of these zoos, seeing quite a number of people. I'm curious how this affects animal behavior and also what you're hearing about uh, beyond the Bronx Zoo about any of the animals that have been infected by the coronavirus. Of course, we, we did hear about tigers that were infected and lions infected at Bronx Zoo as a result of an uh, asymptomatic keeper, uh, presumably. Um, and, and so that's sent an alert throughout our, our network of member zoos and aquariums to take extra precaution when you're dealing with, um, with big cats in particular, but um, all animals that we need to um, ensure that they are safe. I, I think that the um, animals almost certainly are missing the people. Um, you know, I'm uh, thinking about the Congo exhibit at um, the Bronx Zoo. When I've been there, you can tell those those uh, gorillas are watching you as much, maybe even more than you're watching them. And so I'm sure they're missing the guests at, at these places. And, and so, um, so I'm, and I'm sure they're going to, they're, I'm sure they're going to be happier uh, when, when the, when our zoos and aquariums open up, it's a, it's a much more vibrant place for the animals as well. And finally, where can people go to learn more about the association of zoos and aquariums? So they can visit our website, aza.org. Um, and maybe better, um, visit us on Facebook. Um, we have a very active presence on Facebook, so search for Association of Zoos and Aquariums and, and join us on Facebook. Dan Ash of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, thanks so much for joining me here on WBAI. Thanks a lot, Jeff. You've been listening to City Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Today, I'm focusing on the impact of the coronavirus on animals and pets. This past week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended that cats, dogs, and other animals keep the same social distancing as recommended for humans. This took place after a small number of animals, including dogs and cats, were reported to test positive for COVID-19 after they had close contact with a person who had the disease. The CDC said there isn't evidence that animals play a significant role in spreading the virus that causes COVID-19, but it appears that the virus can spread from people to animals. Earlier this month, a tiger at the Bronx Zoo tested positive for the virus and then seven more tested positive. Two cats in New York tested positive, and just a few days ago, a pug from North Carolina tested positive. So how should pet owners, me included, respond to this? What steps should we take? The Animal Medical Center is based in Manhattan, and it's the world's largest nonprofit animal hospital with more than 100 veterinarians. Dr. Ann Hohenhaus is a third-generation veterinarian who is also double board certified by the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine.
She's an active participant in the Animal Medical Center's research mission, and she's written extensively in veterinary literature. Dr. Hohenhaus lectures nationally and internationally, most recently in the Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and Cape Town, South Africa. Welcome to WBAI. Pets are at very low risk of contracting coronavirus, but what precautions should still be taken? What can people do to protect their pets during the pandemic? So social distancing is important for pets as it is for people during this pandemic. So when you go outdoors, you want to keep your dog on a leash so it doesn't come in contact with any people who might be sick. And if you have an indoor-outdoor cat, you might want to make that cat indoors all the time until the threat of COVID-19 passes. If you're at home and you're sick, then you need to quarantine yourself away from the entire family, and that includes the pet. And that's probably the hardest piece of advice, because when you're home sick, you want that pet snuggled in bed with you because you're feeling sorry for yourself. But that's exactly the wrong thing to do in this situation. And if your pet is sick, then you need to talk to your veterinarian. And if you've been diagnosed with COVID-19 or think you might have COVID-19, you need to talk to your veterinarian about that so that if the pet needs to go into the hospital, you can be prepared. And if the pet is sick, I'm sure your veterinarian is going to recommend that the pet be quarantined away from the rest of the family or any other pets as well. What are the most common COVID-19 inquiries that the Animal Medical Center has been encountering since the pandemic began? Are you seeing more people worried that their pets have contracted the virus? So this is really interesting. Last week when the two cats were diagnosed in New York State, uh, we thought we would have like a huge groundswell of social media queries, you know, someone asking on Facebook, someone sending Instagram questions. And really, it was it was very quiet. There was an occasional question. I've had uh, clients forward me news articles to say, you know, just in case you haven't heard, this is a problem. But it, the, the questions really have been uh, much more limited than we expected it would be. And, and the questions are, are those um, that you would expect. What, did, can my pet give it to me? That's probably the most common one. And as of right now, the answer to that common question is nobody has any evidence to support that your pet can make you sick. It's us making our pets sick. And that's a good point. Just in the last few days, there were, was the report about a pug from North Carolina that tested positive. What is the latest knowledge about how pets can become infected? Every pet that has been out there that has a confirmed diagnosis of, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus infection has been associated with a person who has had the virus. So our best knowledge is that it's the people giving it to the pet. The pug household is really interesting. The newest reports say that that was a family of four, and only three of them were sick. There was a fourth family member that tested negative. And there was also another dog and cat in the household, and they tested negative. So there's, like, why? I mean, everyone says on the news this virus is highly contagious, and yet in that household, not everybody got sick. So that's just one of the millions of unanswered questions about this virus is there's 
seems to be clear susceptibility differences even in the same household. How has the Animal Medical Center had to adapt in this new environment, particularly because you would normally in your waiting room have a number of people, I've been in that waiting room with one of my pets. How have you had to adapt your operations? Well, so first of all, unfortunately, pet owners don't get to come into the hospital anymore with their pets because we have... um, trying to protect the staff as much as possible because if our staff gets sick then we're not here to take care of your pets so we now have uh, tents in our parking lot and it looks much more like we're hosting uh, a wedding rather than a pandemic but the tents are so that the waiting clients have a, a, a dry warm place to wait for their pet while we take care of it and then the lobby has a team of people in white jumpers and in uh, masks and uh, other protective gear that take the pet from the people, get information like the cell phone that you have, and then the doctors communicate to you by telephone. It's not as, it's hard. Um, I'm so much more used to dealing with the people and their pet. And so having to talk to everyone on the phone, it has, has presented some challenges. But we're making do and we're, we're able to take care of anybody who needs to be taken care of. I was just down in the lobby uh, dropping off a pet uh, to a client about an hour ago, and um, there are a lot of people who are waiting in their cars outside the hospital as well um, for us to take care of their pet and then bring it back to them. What are some of the clinical signs if a companion animal uh, has the coronavirus? So remember that our information right now is clearly limited because we've got one uh, coronavirus positive pug and two coronavirus positive cats in the United States. Not very many sick animals to go on. But the current guidance from uh, the Centers for Disease Control and the United States Department of Agriculture is that fever, cough, uh, respiratory problems, lethargy, sneezing, nasal discharge, vomiting, and diarrhea might be signs that you would see in a pet with the coronavirus infection. Problem is that that laundry list of signs describes 75-80% of all the diseases that we see in animals. So they're not a very discriminating list of signs to help us sort things out. That's why it's really important that if you the human in the household has coronavirus, you need to tell your veterinarian that you have it because that's going to help them take precautions to protect themselves and their staff, but it will also help them to focus uh, the diagnostic testing appropriately. And are there recommendations if you believe your pet has contracted the virus as far as treatment? There are recommendations because the two cats in New York State and the in North Carolina are all getting better on their own. You know, we don't have a, a treatment for this virus in people, and so the same thing has to happen in animals. Blessedly, animals seem to not be as sick as people are, and the cases that we know of have all recovered on their own uh, without a big medical intervention. So what other advice do you have 
for pet owners at this time amid this environment. Obviously, you know, anytime a pet sneezes, now like when a human sneezes, we're starting to question could this be, you know, could this be worse than normal? Remember that there are, I just checked the John Hopkins uh, coronavirus tracker website. There are 3.1 million cases worldwide, and a million of those are in the United States. And in the U.S., we've got three positive animals right now, plus the, the tigers and lions in the Bronx Zoo. So this disease does not seem to be very contagious from people to animals, or people have followed directions and are quarantining themselves from their pets. I think the last thing would be to check AMC's website, which is www.amcny.org. We have a whole COVID-19 page. And pay special attention to the pet planning document for COVID-19. And that will give your listeners some good guidance on how to plan for your pet in case you get sick during this pandemic. And I've seen that page. It's a very good resource. Dr. Ann Hohenhaus of the Animal Medical Center, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI. Thanks for tuning in to WBAI 99.5 and streaming live at WBAI.org today. You're listening to City Watch, and I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Today, I've been focused on animals and the coronavirus. Just a few days ago, New York City launched a pet hotline to answer all of your questions about taking care of pets during this crisis, but also to connect you with pet relief resources that you might need. So grab a pen. I want to give you that number. The hotline is 877 877- 204-8821. Once again, that number is 877-204-8821, and it's manned from 8 in the morning till 8 at night each day. I've had pets for the last decade, and frankly, they mean the world to me. So I have a number of questions as well, and so I've been fortunate to be able to have these fantastic guests on today. Area shelters are seeing a surge of requests to adopt pets at this time. Since 1944, the North Shore Animal League America has saved the lives of more than one million dogs, cats, puppies, and kittens. It's the world's largest no-kill rescue and adoption organization. Joanne Yohannan is the organization's Senior Vice President of Operations, and she joins me now to discuss how the organization has dealt with COVID-19. Welcome to WBAI. How has North Shore Animal League America had to adapt to this new environment? Well, Jeff, it's been challenging. Um, We, like everybody else, have had to practice social distancing. We've had to keep our volunteers and staff and potential adopters safe. And fortunately, we've had great support from the animal-loving community. Uh, People have continued to adopt. People have offered to foster. And thus far, we've been pretty lucky with online donations and mail-in. People have continued to support our efforts. I've been reading about how many people, as they self-isolate or quarantine, have been adopting companion animals. What have you encountered? You know, that's um, what we have found as well. Um, More and more people are realizing the benefits of having a dog or cat companion during this time. And... We've even seen um, a drop in relinquishment in animal shelters, not only with our adoption agency, but in animal shelters across the country. So far fewer people are relinquishing their animals. I think that they have more time to spend with them. And as a result of that, are really finding 
that the family pet is a great companion during this very difficult time. Any sense of how many companion animals have been adopted since the pandemic began as far as cats and dogs? It's actually hundreds at our adoption agency. Now, under normal circumstances, um, North Shore Animal League America usually does between ten and 15,000 in-house adoptions every year. And I'm going to say in the last maybe five or six weeks, we've done pretty close to 250 adoptions. And, you know, I think one of the benefits, if there is a silver lining to this horrible cloud, is that people want to do something meaningful and they want to help. It's human nature. And I think when they help animals, they're also helping themselves. And so during this time um, of adoption and fostering, we've seen people that are willing to take animals that maybe they didn't really consider in the past. So for example, maybe an adult animal that's nine or 10 years old, or maybe an animal that requires um, extended care, maybe it had surgery and just needs to uh, have a home to rest in until it can go to a permanent home. So we've seen um, a lot of people really open their hearts and their homes at this time. So in the the normal process, I would assume, is that people would visit your space, get to know the companion animals, see if they're compatible before adoption. What's the current availability of companion animals and how has that whole process changed? Well, right now we have almost 100 dogs and puppies available for adoption. And we have over 100 cats and kittens available And you're 100% right. Normally, our adoption uh, facility is open seven days a week, and people can just come in and get to know the animals and browse. And what's changed is that right now, our adoption hours are Wednesday through Sunday from noon to 8 p.m., and we ask people to go online, fill out a pre-approval adoption form, um, and they can meet their animal. We're doing adoptions by appointment. They can definitely meet their animal in person. But the initial introduction is done either Skype or Zoom. Thank goodness for technology because it's really been a big help in helping us get the animals visible. And then once the adoption application has been approved, we have counselors that will help make an appropriate match. We set up an appointment time and practicing social distancing, people can come in and meet their new pet. And it's been working well. So as we've seen in the last few days, Winston, the pug from North Carolina, was the first dog in the United States that tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, When it comes to North Shore Animal League America, are you testing animals? What advice do you offer to people when they do ask about this and if they should test their pet? I think that as with any other family member, it's just important when you're bringing a new pet in to properly social distance, whether we were experiencing this pandemic or not, because sometimes animals can have kennel cough. Sometimes animals can, um, you know, they can have a respiratory infection that really has nothing to do with the pandemic. But to answer your question, all the animals that we rescue go through grooming. They receive a bath. um, They're with us for a minimum of a week before they're available for adoption. Unless they're young puppies, they tend to get adopted rather quickly. They could be with us three or four days. So my best advice is I don't think that there's any evidence um, to suggest 
that the virus is being transmitted from dogs or cats or any animal to people. In fact, and everything I've seen, experts are saying it's the other way around. So, for example, in the case of the pug, there were two family members that had the virus and recovered from it. Um, in the case of the Bronx Zoo with the tigers, the zookeepers had the virus. And I believe there were two more cats in North Carolina or one of the Carolinas um, that had tested positive. And again, family members had the virus. So right now, experts believe that there is no reason to think that the virus is being transmitted through pets. But as a family member, we should take the same precautions because we don't want to get our animals sick either. So if someone in the house has the virus, then we should social distance, you know, uh, in the same way we would for any other family member. So I've talked about animals that are put up for adoption. I'm curious about animals that would normally come to you uh, in the first place. Are you still taking them in? We do. Um, as I said earlier, the relinquishment rate from owners is down, but we're still rescuing. We have shelter partners across the country. And as a result of the pandemic, you know, a lot of the organizations are not at full capacity, but they're also experiencing fewer relinquishments. So, for example, I don't know, four weeks ago, just before the pandemic was really full swing, we did a mill dog rescue, a collaborative mill dog rescue, where we took in over 100 dogs. And we've worked with some other organizations, and we ended up keeping, I think, 45 of the dogs that we rescued from the mills. And uh, I'm going to say 35 of those are in foster homes, and they're going to be available for adoption shortly. And we did a rescue just this past week, and we rescued some puppies, some adult dogs, and we've also been rescuing some cats. The numbers are less than what we were doing before the pandemic, but we're still saving lives, and it seems that there are uh, fewer animals um, in need of rescue at this time. And North Shore provides guidance to people who want to adopt to make sure that the pets are the right ones for them. How have you changed your process now? What do you uh, go through to also make sure that the there's a compatibility? Absolutely. Um, even before the pan pandemic, as you said, we uh, have adoption counselors and you know, most um, adoption agencies and rescue groups will have counselors available that will do an interview process just to make sure that the animal um, that we're making good matches uh, for the potential adopters. And we want to make sure that when people adopt an animal, that they realize that it's a long-term commitment. So, you know, this too shall pass. We're not always going to have this um, illness. And so we want to make sure that people who are adopting are going to keep the animals when the pandemic is over. And it's been our experience that since people have been able to spend time with the animals, if the adoptions are lasting because by the time they go back to work, there's a routine in the home. And those people that are not prepared to make a 10 or 15 year commitment, depending on the age of the animal they adopt, there are plenty of animals in need of foster care, especially now. Um, we're on the cusp of kitten season where we usually see a large volume of mother cats and kittens coming in and kittens. And so there's always animals that are in need of temporary foster homes. And most organizations, you can foster an animal for a month. You can foster an animal for two weeks, depending on the need of the animals. And in some 
adoption agencies like ours, we have a foster to adopt program. So um, you can foster the animal and then if it works out well and you want to adopt the animal after the 30 days, you can. You have that first opportunity to do the adoption. And many times the foster parents do end up adopting the animals because they fall in love with them. There's more time uh, in this situation for people to kind of bond with their companion animals and train their animals. Any final pieces of advice and where should people go to learn more about the North Shore Animal League America? My best piece of advice is just take your time in making the right selection. Let us help you. Go to animalleague.org and you'll be able to see the animals that we have available for adoption. And I just wanted to mention one last thing. I did say earlier that our online donations and our mail-in donations, we've been fortunate, we've been okay with it, but that doesn't um, eliminate the fact that many of our fundraising events had to be canceled because of social distancing. So for example, our Lewitt luncheon in June was canceled. All of our Wolfpack parties canceled. Our year-end gala, we don't know if that's going to happen. That will be canceled. So we've had to get really creative with online fundraising. So while people are visiting the site, whatever they can afford to do would be greatly appreciated. We have a walk and wag coming up, uh, which is a virtual dog walk. If you have a dog, it's a great time to get out there, social distance, get some exercise. If you don't have a dog, you can still show your support. And it's really a wonderful time to either adopt, foster, or volunteer. Joanne Yohannan, North Shore Animal League America, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI. You're listening to City Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. While many people are now adopting pets as they stay at home, others are fostering pets while they wait adoption. At the same time, many pets are finding loving homes. Unfortunately, others are losing theirs because their human companions have been ill or have passed away. Animal Haven finds homes for abandoned cats and dogs in New York City and throughout the tri-state area. It was founded in 1967, and the nonprofit has an animal shelter in Manhattan and also offers programs that enhance the bond between animals and people. Tiffany Lacey is Animal Haven's president and executive director and joins me now. Welcome to WBAI. So just to put this in perspective, before this pandemic surged here in the city, how many animals would you say you had at any given time? So at any given time in Animal Haven during normal times, we have roughly around 90 to 100 animals. And the majority of those animals are actually at Animal Haven um, at our shelter in Manhattan. And what has your experience been since the pandemic hit? I would assume you've had a surge of requests for adoptions. Oh, gosh, yes. We've had a surge, immediately had a, a very large surge for fosters, and then it's kind of morphed into adoptions. Um, our answer for the fosters out of the gate was Animal Haven is in a uniquely good uh, position to have an army of already pre-orientated volunteers. We have roughly around 1,500 on our list, and each week around 200 to 250 come through Animal Haven to help uh, care for the animals. But because we can't have them at Animal Haven anymore um, for safety reasons, um, they have all signed on to foster. So we didn't need to um, take up the public's offer, which was amazing, for fosters. And then now we're getting um, really just uh, 
on a day-to-day basis, an enormous amount of interest in adopting, and we're so appreciative, and we're continuing to do adoption. The only thing that's happening is because of the unique situation we're in, the process has slowed down quite a bit, um, and we do it by appointment only. And in fact, that's my next question. How have you had to adjust your operations? Right. So it's huge. I mean, it's like it's completely a different um, scenario at this point for us. Um, Normally, what would happen in Animal Haven is our doors are open, our regular operating hours, and the public just walks in as, you know, whenever they'd like. There's no appointment needed. And they can, uh, with the help of a volunteer or a staff member, be escorted and give a tour of the entire facility and see all the animals in person. Uh, What we've had to do now is uh, shut our front door and not let people walk through uh, freely. They need to go to our website. That's what I suggest the first thing uh, someone that's interested in adopting does, and that's animalhaven.org, or follow us on social at Animal Haven and see the animals we have available. They can reach out to us via our website. Um, We're pushing people really to go there instead of phone calls because we, we are skeleton staff at Animal Haven right now, so email is better. People reach out, and what we ask people to do immediately is to fill out an application. And we are doing the application process almost in kind of a backwards way. We're doing that first. And if you get completely vetted and are approved for an adoption, we then make the appointment for you to come in. Um, We only do one family at a time at the facility. We ask for everyone to uh, respect um, putting PPE on and staying six feet away from our staff members. And we do the meeting. And if everything goes well, um, the person can take the animal home that day. And the great news is, is that it's been working Um, And so animals are still going home. So I've been focusing on adoptions, but at the same time, you've also seen an uptick in companion animals that are coming to you. Why is that happening? Right. So we have a, it's a mixed bag of um, what the end result will be, but the way, the way they're coming to us is, is, is all related to COVID. So it's, it's COVID-19, um, either people that are, we have one case of senior citizens that were in a home on the Upper West Side that had to be relocated uh, to hotels that unfortunately couldn't allow them to take their animals. So Animal Haven took those animals on a temporary basis to relieve um, that situation and to make the seniors uh, feel comfortable that their animals were being cared for and loved. And then we have sadly other situations um, that the person is actually um, either been hospitalized or has even died, and Animal Haven is taking those animals, and the, we're taking those animals um, permanently to rehome them. What measures do you take when a companion animal comes to you from a person uh, who is sick? Right. So we are doing a 14-day quarantine um, where they are not, uh, the animals cannot touch or be near our in-house animals. We're not putting them in foster. We're keeping them in Animal Haven. And our staff is um, using PPE for walks or care of the animals. Do you test pets? How do you check for signs of illness? We have not done any testing of COVID-19 for, on our animals. Um, we have heard, we're just, you know, we're watching authorities and um, what information is trickling down to us to do. If we're seeing anything that looks similar to um, a URI, like an upper respiratory infection or anything like that, uh, we're taking extra precaution. Most of the animals, though, interestingly enough, we have not really had very many that have needed the full 14-day because once we get to the case, 
many of those animals have either gone all the way through the 14 day or they are well, well within it. For instance, we just rescued 13 chihuahuas from a home in Queens. Um, there was no positive test for uh, COVID, but there was an assumption of COVID in the home. And the dogs, once they got to us, were already well within their quarantine time. So we only had four days left to keep them separate from our other animals. So thinking about those dogs and the others you have, how many pets do you have right now for adoption? We have a lot of animals up for adoption. Um, and so we have roughly around 100. Um, so the majority of them are in foster homes. And then roughly now after we brought in those chihuahuas, we have around a little over 40 animals at Animal Haven. Um, all of those animals are up for adoption. Uh, so this is one of the moments, and it just sort of started to uh, become a larger issue this last week, where because our adoption process uh, with the restraints that we're under has slowed down so much, we're seeing more animals come in than we're able to get out. So we're reworking some of our internal protocols to try to possibly safely loosen it up a little bit more so we can see the adoption rate go up a bit more. But we definitely have 100 animals up for adoption, cats and dogs. Uh, we welcome everyone to reach out and let us know if they're interested in any. And we just ask for everyone to be patient with us because the process, in order for us to keep our staff safe and our adopters safe and the animals safe, um, is a little bit slower than we're used to. What advice are you offering to people who are considering adoption right now? What I would say is it's always a great time to adopt. Um, adopting an animal is basically one of the best decisions I've ever made and anyone that I've ever met has made. <laughs> so there's never a bad time. Um, I would say that if you are considering it, what well, we are, we are um, messaging to our potential adopters um, a great deal is to take stock of where you are right now compared to where you may be in a couple of months once everything um, sort of starts to tick back to a bit of normal um, and your schedule and what your lifestyle will be because we are finding quite a few people they really want to adopt because they are at home right now and everything's sort of working for that to happen but things will change and we're just um, we're being cautious. Now, one of the things that Animal Haven is most proud of is we do take all of our animals back, no questions asked. So if an animal is adopted and if it doesn't uh, work out for any reason, there is that safety net that people have. But we are trying to make sure that people understand that, and that is one of our biggest messages. Where can people go to get more information about Animal Haven? Sure. So animalhaven.org is our website. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, go to at Animal Haven. Um, we welcome everyone to visit us. Uh, if you can't adopt, we ask that you donate to our emergency action funds. You can donate there. We're also having a virtual gala called Sit Happens on May 20th, where we're going to go on a Zoom event. We have a lot of celebrities involved. Um, it's going to be really fun. And you can get tickets at animalhaven.org for that as well. And all the money raised will, again, go to our emergency action fund. Tiffany Lacey, thanks so much for joining me here on WBAI. Earlier in the show, I gave you a number, the city's new hotline, to call if you've got questions about the virus and your pet. So grab a pen once again. Here's that number, 877-204-8821. Once again, 877-204-8821. The hotline is manned from 8 in the morning till 8 in the evening each day.
As City Watch comes to a close, just a few programming notes. This week, WBAI begins our spring fundraising drive. So please, I encourage you, tune in, show your support for the shows that you love. We'll be offering special gifts that you can get if you donate and if you become a BAI buddy like I am during this drive. The coronavirus has made it difficult for many of us and nonprofits are suffering. WBAI relies on your contributions to stay on the air. You can always contribute, but during our fundraising drive, we make an extra effort to bring you even more quality programming, so we hope that over the next few weeks, you can take a moment to call us, text us, even go online to donate and give whatever you can. Every little bit will help. I thank today's guests, Dan Ash of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus of the Animal Medical Center, Joanne Johannin of North Shore Animal League America, Tiffany Lacey of Animal Haven, and of course, our WBAI correspondent, Celeste Katz-Marston. I'll be back this Thursday at 5 o'clock with Driving Forces. Next Sunday, my co-host David Brand takes over. I wish you and your pets the best of health in this coming period. Thanks for tuning in.